Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt, episode 64. Tonight, we're talking about live ball versus dead ball training, which is better can you develop a champion without drills? It's a question that I always like to ask people who I'm studying with. I've gotten a chance to ask that to some famous coaches and uh, I'll, I'll share with you the answer. What do you guys think? Do you think that you can create a champion without any baskets, without any drills? Or are you more hardcore and traditional? And do you think that champions are made with uh, lots of reps from the basket, lots of serious drills. Uh, that is uh, an age-old question in tennis coaching uh, circles, and it's a big debate even today in uh, in the tennis coaching develop junior development world, or whether you're developing adults or juniors. It's a hot topic, and I was asked this question um, for the program, and so I thought I'd oblige and talk about it a little bit. I don't think we've done a show on that topic, but it's a very interesting topic and uh, sort of connects to player personality and learning styles, I think, as well, which is also interesting to discuss. But what do you guys think? Can you develop a top player without drills? Uh, what is dead ball drilling? What is live ball drilling? Some of you may not be too familiar with the coaching lingo, but in tennis coaching, dead ball drilling is when you uh, feed the ball with your racket or from your hand out of a basket or out of a cart or a bucket and you, the ball is not um, hit, it's not being hit in a live way. So live ball drilling is when you're actively playing with the player, hitting with the player, rallying with the player, so the action is live. And dead ball is, uh, is just simply fed from a basket or fed from your hand or with a racket. So those are the two styles of training that you see in lessons and in, in groups, in, um, in private lessons, in academies. And it's really interesting to go and visit different academies or different great clubs or not so great clubs around the world and see what they believe in philosophically because you'll, you'll see right away that some clubs are either more live ball focused or obsessed and other clubs are, and coaches are very dead ball uh, obsessed and they have a penchant for one or the other. And then some places have a balanced approach where they do a combination of live ball training and dead ball training. So I think it's really important if you're a parent that you figure out what's best for your kid. If you're a player yourself, you figure out how will you benefit the most uh, what type of training will help you develop the most? And uh, oh, I have a question already. Thank you uh, from France. How can we teach steadiness for the backhand to a seven-year-old kid? Live ball or dead ball? So the, the questions in YouTube uh, go away very quickly, but I think the gist of your question, uh, thank you for your question. Uh, you have a seven-year-old and how best to teach consistency should it be from the basket, dead ball, or live ball? Let me know if that's correct. And uh, you lead me sort of into uh, 
it's a complicated area because with with young children, let's say you have a seven-year-old, um, you have to understand what what their their personality is, and and what their learning style is. So some kids, I believe personally, they they benefit from doing repetitions from a basket, and the, uh, those kids tend to be more on the analytical side, and they 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 develop uh, comfort and. Uh, 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 they feel positive, and they they feel re, uh, uh, supported, and they their anxieties go down when they're able to do lots of repetitions, usually from a basket where they can sort of hone uh, their stroke. Um, some people use the word groove, like the old the old word groove your stroke, or or get lots of some kids really benefit from the the feeling of doing a shot over and over again very simply and repetitively and other kids they don't feel that way at all and actually their anxiety may go up when they're doing basket drills and uh repetition so i think right away uh, i guess you lead me right into the the meat of the program where we're talking about player personality and player learning styles and what helps a player develop that consistency better. It could be a combination of both for your player, but you have to really try to try to be intuitive as a coach and and uh, uh, an understanding and really try to get in your players, be em empathetic or empathic, try to get into your player's head and into your player's body and shoes and feel what they're feeling. Because some players will, their anxiety will go up when they're doing lots of drills and their, their boredom factor may go up. They may not engage well with drills from a basket and other players will love it. They will, they will enjoy doing many repetitions and it will, it will bring down their anxiety. It will make them calmer. It will make them more confident. Uh, and that makes it a very tricky question to answer definitively because I don't know your son or daughter and I've never been on the court with him. If I was on the court with him or her for a lesson or for a few days or a week or two, I would figure that out really fast. And in fact, I guess that leads me to that maybe the most important uh, area to, this, to talk about and as if you're a coach or a parent, you need to try to figure out, you need to try to discern. I like the word discernment. You need to try to discern what, where your child is on the spectrum. And the spectrum normally, uh, the way I describe it is, is from a, a magician to a mechanic. And that comes from the great coach Paul Anacone, whom I have a lot of respect for. He's one of the best coaches on the ATP tour. And he's very famous. If you're not familiar with his work, he has an excellent book out about his coaching philosophies. And I believe one of the chapters in the book is called Magicians and Mechanic, uh, Mechanics. I learned that uh, phrase uh, many years ago before Paul wrote the book and I was studying with him at a USDA high performance workshop. So there was a workshop at the US Open actually for high performance coaches and I was invited to this uh, program and it was an excellent uh, education. And Paul was there and he, he gave a lecture, a talk to our group, it was a small group, about magicians and mechanics. And it stuck with me, it must have been 15 years ago, I would think. And it's still stuck with me today. I've written articles about it. 
I've done, I believe we've done a podcast on magicians and mechanics, like what, you know, we've done a whole show on that. But I think when you, when you're trying to figure out what's best to help your kid become more consistent, and that's a really, that's a really important question that you ask because so many parents and coaches are trying to figure that out, trying to figure out how do I develop the, the shot tolerance and the consistency of my player. And that that's the big question. Do you want to give the player more more baskets or do you want to give maybe you want to rally with the player? Maybe you want to play a, some sort of maybe you want to gamify the exercise and play some sort of game with points. Um, so I would throw that question back to you and say, if you were here with me, if you were on the court with me, I would need to ask you, you know, what gets your player engaged more? Maybe you can give me an answer. Do they, are they more engaged when they're doing points, when they're playing something that's a, a open, more live ball exercise, like a rally with, uh, with competition, uh, where they can be creative? Those players tend to be more of what Paul Anacone calls magicians. And, uh, or is it the opposite? Is your player more engaged and excited and passionate about doing uh, repetitive drills, like working on one shot over and over again, trying to hit a certain target or hit a certain hit it, hit the ball a certain way, and that is someone who's very much more mechanically inclined. And Paul Anacone calls those players mechanics. And I think it's a spectrum. Not everyone is uh, one or the other. Some players are sort of in the middle, and then those players are really nice to work with because they can go either way. And you can do games with them, you can do live ball with them, and you can do drills with them, and they are very flexible and accommodating. But there are certainly players, and I've taught hundreds of players in the trenches as a junior development coach in the last 15, 20 years or so, and I can tell you that I've made a lot of mistakes using the wrong exercises for the wrong player personality and learning style. And I've had a lot of successes as well. But over the years, I've learned to be much more adaptable with the, the exercises that I choose. Um, we have a follow-up here. He says he's going to find out what makes his son more engaged. So, okay, I have some tricks for that uh, because this is what I do every day with, with, the, you know, with the little prodigies on the court. One of the first things I do is usually now nowadays I will... Uh, I usually start off and I try to play with the kid and I'm still playing uh, very well, fortunately. <laughs> Knock on wood, I'm still healthy and, and playing a lot. So I, I usually will play with, with a student, especially a student I don't know. And maybe we'll play a baseline game or we'll play a, a modified game where we'll rally uh, and, um, and then maybe play out the point. And I, and I look to see uh, where their engagement is. And then somewhere maybe later in the lesson I might uh, bring the basket over. And mainly what I've learned is it's not so much what I say or do. It's, it's more, uh, when I just, when I bring the cart or, or the basket or a bucket, I use these, you know, Spanish style buckets. Uh, if I bring a bucket over, I, I just kind of feel the player's energy and I, I can sort of read the player's body language. I'm, I, I guess I've become kind of an expert at that. I can look at their eyes their facial expression. I say, hey, we're going to do some drills. We're going to work on this. And you can almost, uh, if, you're, if you're perceptive, you can usually pick up right away whether the player is more of a magician or a mechanic because they will either be very deflated 
or they may say something uh, uh, negative, or or uh, their 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 eyes may may turn down, or they may look unhappy or angry or fresh, you know, or um, or they may be very engaged and they may say, "Great, I, I want to do this." I want. They may ask questions about. Uh, technical reference points or things like that. Typically, players who like to do drills, they're analytical. They want to know how things work. They're interested in technique. They're interested in the way to position their body, their hands, their feet. They're they're inquisitive in that sense. Not to say that ma magicians are are dumb or stupid, but uh, they just don't. They're not that curious about how how to do it. They just want to do it. And they're usually very creative types. They usually want to, they're very, um, they like to sort of uh, discover things in play during, during the moment of play in a point situation typically. We're in some sort of rally and they, they sort of uh, bristle. They bristle at uh, the restrictions of a drill. Like when you do a drill that's very restrictive, like let's say you put a target down and you say, uh, I'm going to toss you 10 balls, and I want you to hit every ball across court to this target. Like, magicians hate that kind of stuff because it's, number one, boring. Number two, it's, it's restrictive. So they don't have, they can't create. They feel uh, stymied or, or they feel straight-jacketed. It's a good way to think about it. Like, so people are more on the magician's uh, side of things. They, 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 they don't respond well to... Uh, drills that are that are too that where the parameters are too narrow, and um, mechanics actually like that. It feels safer to them. It feels comfortable. It it feels supportive. You know, they 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 gain confidence from doing something very with narrow parameters over and over repetitively. Um, and some players are kind of a, a mix of of both, but. I think this is the, sometimes when I do coaches' workshops, we do coaches' workshops at the club here. I have high-performance coaches who come in to train with me. Uh, this is like a, a very important uh, subject that I think coaches need to take into consideration when they're trying to design their lesson plans and when they're trying to design uh, group lesson plans or academy plans for the week or... Um, even when they're developing their own philosophy, a lot of times I'll ask coaches who are studying with me or I have young coaches who, who apprentice with me and who work under me. They want to learn high performance. And, I, and one of the questions that I usually ask those young coaches, I say, you know, what is your coaching philosophy? And I, I try to help coaches define their and develop their coaching philosophy. So I think this is a very important part of developing your coaching philosophy is trying to figure out how how can you read a player to figure out their personality and their learning style and how can you ad adapt and adjust your training to make the the lesson more effective and more efficient make the learning more efficient how to accelerate the learning curve and so i think uh right off the bat here we got a very interesting question that 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 leads us to this the spectrum of magician and mechanics so I didn't really have much of an overview for the show. I just, I enjoy this give and take with uh, questions and answers, but, um, you know, that was one, one area that I did want to touch upon because I think that's how you figure out what is right and wrong. So if you talk to some coaches, you, you will go to conferences or if you, if you study with famous coaches in the world, you will have, you will see a, a wide 
um, you know, a, a wide array of um, differing opinions on this. So there are a lot of coaches are more live ball coaches, like they really believe that players need to do it more for real, quote unquote, like they think that sort of dead ball training is, a, is kind of a, a waste. It's not realistic. It's, um, I think they might be very derogatory of dead ball training, like it's stupid. It, it, what's the point? You know, um, and then th those, those are typically live ball proponents who are really passionate about doing, you know, making everything as real as possible, point play, with pressure, with uh, competition. You know, there, there are coaches who really strongly be believe in, in that philosophically. And then there are coaches on the other spec side of the, the coin or spectrum where, who are, you might call them traditional, sometimes quote unquote, they're traditional, or you might call them old school, but they really believe strongly that a player needs to work. And the work is the drills. And the drills are repetitive and hard. And they build, and you know, these kind of coaches believe that the drills build discipline, the drills build consistency, the drills build uh, stroke mechanics, you know, better technique and, and better footwork, and, and that, that you really can't develop a champion without serious drilling. And when, so you have these uh, two. Uh, diametrically opposed uh, philosophies from from really famous coaches around the world. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples from Spain, but there's a the famous coach William Pato Alvarez, who's a legend in Spain and in Europe, and he's very much he passed away recently. He was very much a believer in the uh, the 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 latter that you have to be. Uh, you have to drill the the hell out of a player, push them, make them strong through repetition, and that's the only way. Basically, that that's the way to become great, and and that that philosophy has permeated throughout the country of Spain, starting in the seventies and eighties, where when Pato became very famous with all the players that he worked with in Spain, and he basically he basically convinced the entire country there to take to take on and the entire system starting with the Spanish Federation and their 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 educational courses and and their their pedagogy the entire Spanish coaching world adopted more or less the the philosophy of Pato Alvarez also Luis Bruguera but but Pato Alvarez transformed the entire country, the tennis culture in the country of Spain, um, and he 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 believed that that you have to drill really really hard, lots and lots of baskets to get good, and uh, so now even today, you know, forty years later, you know, two thousand twenty two, two thousand going to be two thousand twenty three, most of Spain is very very much drills like you go to Spain and this is a good segue into Spanish tennis and I, I wanted to talk about Spanish tennis obviously uh, because I wrote the book about Spanish tennis and people always want to know what, what I think about this topic or that topic vis-a-vis -vis Spain and in Spain when you go there it's either I was just there in June and and it's I find it refreshing uh, some people hate it. They hate the training in Spain. They just find it so boring and so mind-numbingly uh, dull. 
and and they want they can't wait to get the hell out of Spain. Uh, and then others really love the system there, and they find comfort in the the orthodoxy and the the discipline and uh, you know the, the 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 repetitions. And again, the reason that is is because we're not all made the same. You know, God made us many different personalities and with with uh, different learning styles. And so some people again really gravitate towards that type of training the span like take the spanish way it's very repetitive very heavily drill based typically traditionally uh, now it doesn't mean that there are there are some progressive spanish coaches who are more balanced you know jose higueras is a great example of this, who is now in the u.s for has been in the u.s a long time but a very famous spanish coach who's very you know, very much balanced in the way he approaches training. So some live ball, some drills, drills when necessary. You know, that's more of a middle ground approach. But traditionally in Spain, the the training is is very much rote repetition, work, work, work. We're gonna work. We're gonna do this many balls until you collapse, uh, until you 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 are fatigued and suffering. And that's one way proven way to develop champions but it's not the only way because there there are uh successful stories there are successful players who developed without doing as much drills you know mostly competing playing uh working hard in a different way uh which i think is possible and we can kind of touch on that and talk about that a little bit is because doing repetitive drills is not the only way to work really hard you can do uh you can play live ball and it can be extremely tough and build discipline i would say equivalently to a uh, dead ball but it's more difficult and that's why sometimes just doing drills with the player is is uh is effective if the player's engaged but sometimes the players are not engaged and then it becomes uh it can kind of backfire because if you could do all the best drills in the world, but if the player's not engaged, if the player's not benefiting that much from that, uh, that that's not going to help the player become their best. Uh, so in Spain, they're very, very typically uh, dead ball oriented. In here in the U.S., we are doing more and more live ball across the the world. You see more and more live ball. It's it's in tandem with the development of like the games-based approach philosophy. I don't know how much you guys have studied games-based approach or GBA, but um, this is a, a new, relatively new teaching philosophy, and uh, it's, it, it's, it permeated the tennis world all across, uh, all across the world, especially in ITF curriculums. So in many, many countries, are, the coaches are being trained to teach in a games-based way. And it's not that games-based is wrong, but it's good for certain personalities. And I did a, uh, I've done some wonderful uh, podcasts on this. I know we did a very good uh, red, orange, green show, show on red, orange, green, the, uh, the games-based approach. I think if you look back in our archives, you can find the myths of the games-based approach. I talked about some of the myths uh, because games-based approach is not for everybody. You know, games-based approach typically starts with a game. You engage the player. And then you, you work from there to, to transition into more dead ball uh, exercises to develop whatever they need to develop. And it, it works really well with certain personalities because it, 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 brings, it engages the player, 
it gets them um, enthused about about competing and you know really grabs the attention of young especially young players it's used in red orange green systems and and then once the player once you have the player fully engaged you can say hey let's transition to uh, this closed environment so you go from an open environment with like a point some sort of point uh, play and you can go to a closed environment with uh, drilling something that the player is struggling with and then you can go back to an open environment environment and play again so it's kind of like a sandwich where you go open closed open and that's that's a good way to structure a lesson if you're not sure about uh, the way a player is wired and how they learn best you can go open closed open you can you can go close open so you can start with drills and then go into point play that's like a typical traditional way to set up a lesson uh, to structure a class uh, and you can go open close just open to close you can play with a player and then you can uh, go into a drill and sometimes that's a good way to convince a player that they need to work on something uh, but different players will respond differently to those those types of approaches for example someone who's more mechanical if you start out with a game with them they're going to feel really lost and uncomfortable and they're going to they're going to be longing for the comfort of repetition they're going to be longing for for to, to work like they're going to feel insecure and they're going to want to work on certain shots and they'll usually express that to the coach if you're listening carefully they'll say something like hey coach i really want to work on my forehand or I really need to work on my serve out wide, or, or my backhand, I'm missing a lot of my angle backhands, or whatever it is, the, a lot of times the player will communicate that, that to you either subtly or, or directly, uh, but, but you have to be attentive to that as a coach or a teacher and try to read and listen carefully, whether it's verbally or just through the player's body language. Sometimes it's just the body language, and some players are very reserved and they may not share that information with you and that that can lead to a very uncomfortable lesson a disaster lesson lesson is and i know if it, we have a lot of coaches that listen to the show and for parents too a, a disaster lesson is is if you take a player out on the court who's maybe a magician and who likes to compete and create who's an artist and you force them to do the the pato alvarez spanish repetitive drills for an hour an hour and a half I mean, you're going to lose the engagement of that player. You're going to um, potentially sever the connection between the coach or parent and, and player and, or, and student. And, and it's going to create a rift between the teacher and the student, uh, sometimes an irreparable rift. It can be a disaster lesson where the player never wants to come back and ever see you again. Or uh, vice versa, if you have the philosophy of... Uh, I want my students to play and I want to keep it real, quote unquote, real. I want to, you know, I try to make everything as real as possible. Therefore, ergo, we don't do a lot of baskets here on my court or in my club or in my academy or whatever it is. You know, we have lots of coaches who believe that. And, and if those coaches have a mechanic who comes to them, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to, that, that player is going to be a mess and constantly insecure from the environment and the te the learning environment that the coach sets up. Uh, so I, I would just submit that to you guys. If you're a teacher, uh, a tennis teacher or coach, you got to figure out what who you have in front of you and try to structure your lesson accordingly. 
uh, whether it's open, closed, open, like like a uh, like a sandwich, or whether you're going to start with a closed drill, a dead ball drill, and go to a live open drill, um, or you're going to start with an open drill and go to a closed. And then if if you start into a certain type of lesson, and and it's not going well, I usually tell coaches that they should change. You should really be quick to adapt. So, for example, if you have a player and you're playing points with them, and normally it should be like a fun, engaging thing, and they look like really unhappy over there, you might consider stopping, bringing the basket over, and start talking to them about like what they'd like to work on. You want to do some drills on something? You want, and, and usually they'll give you some sort of affirmation like, yeah, I really, I really don't want to play right now. I'm just missing all my backhands, you know. This doesn't feel right. Can we do some, you know, can we work on that? And then you, you can completely change the tenor and the energy of the lesson by being quick to adapt or vice versa. If you're drilling a player and it just doesn't feel right, like you're, you're doing all your favorite amazing drills, whether you're doing Spanish drills or whatever drills you love and, and the player's just, the player's there in front of you and the player doesn't look that interested and um, they're not playing that great they're not hitting the ball very well. It might just be you and the drills. You you might say to them, hey, you know what? Let's play a game to 11 or let's rally cross court. And when I say point, let's play a point. And if you shift the lesson like that into a more live ball approach, you, you may be able to capture that player's curiosity, capture that player's engagement and completely transform the energy of the lesson and create a bond with the player that's very, that can be very valuable moving forward. The player is going to feel like you understand them. The player is going to feel more confident. The player is going to feel more assured, uh, less insecure, more secure. And, and from that, once you develop that connection with the player, you may be able to transition them into when they, if they need to do some repetition on something like maybe they're missing a lot of a certain shot, or maybe they do need to do some reps on something. You'll have the the capital built up, like the 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 uh, you'll you'll have you'll have made these investments in the player. You'll have the capital. You'll have the trust, and the player will be willing to maybe go against the grain, go against their 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 tendency. You know, they may they may be a magician, but you may if you have a good um, rapport and trust with the player, you may be able to convince convince them to do some drills. Maybe we need to do uh, hit forty or fifty serves uh, and work on a certain. So maybe you're, the player is missing a, a bunch of kick serves out wide, or the player needs to hit that tee better. And you can maybe convince them that this is important, even though they're more they're more uh, like a ma magically inclined, or maybe they're mechanically inclined. And you need to convince them to do more strategy and play more points competitively, because sometimes mechanics. They don't want to do anything but drilling, which sounds crazy to most people, but there are kids, and I've had many students like this. They're not super common, but there are some kids who love to do repetitive drilling, and they don't really feel as comfortable in the open live ball world. And, and of course, there are the opposite. There are some kids who just can't stand to drill. They do anything not to drill. Uh, drilling for them is like going to the dentist and pull, having their teeth pulled like a root canal. And, and when you have those kids, you've got to play with them more. If you're going to engage them, you have to do more live ball with them. And if you're a coach who only does drills, you're going to lose those kids. Like if you're a coach who's fat and out of shape, 
and you don't do any drill, you don't do any live, you, you don't play anymore, you're screwed. Because there's, there, there's a whole uh, swath, there's a whole segment of players who are going to come through your door who you're going you're gonna to not develop a good bond with. You're, you're gonna, it's, there's going to be a rift in that coach-student relationship because you're the drill guy, but the player wants to play. They're, they're, they're a magician. They want to create. They, they're an artist. Uh, so that's really important to understand. If you're one of those coaches who, who doesn't play anymore, you're, or maybe have an injury, maybe you're not out of shape, maybe you're in shape but you're injured, that's a real challenge if you have a magician, someone who's more like on the magician spectrum coming through your door, you have to have an assistant who plays for you. Uh, and most of the best coaches in the world do that. They have someone who they can bring in, like a good hitter, you know, like a high UTR player, like a 12 or 13 UTR, who can just come in and play. And that solves the riddle. Because that way, if, uh, if more of a magician comes in, you can do all your live ball with the hitter. And the best coaches in the world operate like this. And if not, uh, you can just do, you know, you can do drills from a basket. The kid loves it, you know, but, but depends on the kid's personality and, and depends on how much engagement you're trying to get. You can do some combination of both. But if you're injured or out of shape and you don't play, then you got a big problem if the kid wants to, is more like, more like one of those artists or artistic types who, who wants to compete and create, um, on the other hand, if you're just a player, and so sometimes a lot of former pros get caught up in this, like they're, they're really good players, and they, they usually just hit with their students. And, and so that's great for, uh, for the kids who love the, the live ball, but there are kids who may come to them who really want to do repetition, who really want to get um, uh, their technique refined or work on a certain shot over and over again. And they're gonna, that type of coach is going to lose a player who's wired that way as well. So uh, it's the, the best is if you have a coach who can still play well, like still play at a pretty high level, and who also is adept at drilling. And then that coach can be uh, like Superman, like Batman, like a, like a Marvel, that, like a chameleon. That coach can shift and adapt on the fly. That coach can play with the student. That coach can drill the student. It can do it, do it all, like um, like the Roger Federer of coaching, or the Michael Jordan of coaching, or you know someone who, who's multi-talented. That type of coach is going to be more successful with more kids. So if you're watching this or listening to this, and you're like the drill guy, you're going to need a hitter for it. You're going to need a hitter to help you. Or if you're a parent who's like the drill parent, you're going to need someone, you, you might need someone to hit with your kid. And on the other hand, if you're like the play coach who loves to play and is like the live ball guy, you got to have some good drills in your arsenal, in your toolbox. And you have to understand that some kids, they, they need the reps. They need, to, they need to feel certain shots over and over again. So is that, is that helpful, guys, to try to, try to understand uh, where I'm coming from? It's all about the magicians and the mechanics. And it's all about, and this is the art of coaching, is trying to figure out the way a kid's wired or the way, the way, you, you're, the way you are, we're wired. If you're a player watching or listening to this, how are you wired? How, how do you, you know, uh, do you benefit from a little bit of both, balance? 
Do you need to do those drills, get those reps, or are you more of a live ball person who, who uh, just, just can figure it all out on the fly during, during points? So I think that's very important to take into consideration. If you have any questions for me, let me know. Uh, I can tell you guys that we have some good shows coming up. Um, if you have uh, questions about the, uh, uh, if, you, if you have a show topic that you want me to cover, please let me know. Here we got a question. Is it time to do a drill? Can you repost that so I can, I can catch it? Sorry, I was in the middle of uh, thought. But a lot of, uh, I get suggestions for shows. So if you have like a topic that you find interesting in junior development or technique or biomechanics, just let me know and we can kind of uh, get, we can get into it in a, in a full show coming up. Uh, usually I like to discuss technique, biomechanics, Spanish way of training, uh, parenting and junior development. Uh, these are the kind of things that I like. If you could repost that question real quick, I will uh, get into it. If you have any more questions about magicians and mechanics, let me know. If you have any questions and any general questions about junior development, let me know. Is it worth the time to do a drill when the student can do 8 out of 10? Right, that's a great... <laughs> Great question. I like to tell the story of, um, it depends on if the kid's a magician or mechanic. If the kid's, uh, any, if the kid's for most people, it's fine. Um, if the kid is uh, very mechanically inclined, you probably need to get 10 out of 10 before they're satisfied. And then they still, may not, they still might not be enough. You might need to do 20 out of 20. Uh, if the kid is anywhere on the spectrum of magician, like, like they like to play and compete and, and they're, they're the artists. They're 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 the the John McEnroe of uh, of the of ten of, of junior tennis. McEnroe was a classic magician, for example, and Lendl would be a classic mechanic. Just uh, now that you think about it, uh, eight out of ten's plenty. It could be three, three, two or three out of ten is enough for uh, a true magician. Because I give an example. I had this kid that I coached a while back, super talented kid, super, super magician. And his name was Lucas. I won't tell you his last name, but I'm not, I'm, I don't know, just for his own privacy. Great kid. And um, Lucas did not like to drill, like hated drilling. And sometimes we would drill and, you know, the guy would make like one ball out of 10. And I just look at him like, you know, Lucas, if you can't make, have you ever said this? If you're a coach, well, we got a lot of coaches on the show. Have you ever, have you ever done a drill with a, with a kid and, you know, they, they, they do a sloppy drill, right? And, and you say to them like, you know, if you can't make the, the ball here 10 out of 10 times or 8 out of 10 times, how are you going to make it under pressure in a match, you know, or, or some, something to that effect? I'm sure lots of coaches or parents have said something like that to a kid. So I said something like that to him. And... Um, I just remember, he looked at me right in the eye and said, Chris, I can make that shot every time. This is just like, this is so boring, you know. I don't want to do this drill. It's so I, th I said to myself, okay. Um, and I said, Lucas, let's play uh, baseline points. And uh, he was one of the top players in the East, so one of the best players in New York. And, and um, let's see if you, if, if you put your money where your mouth is, you know. Can't, let's see if you can make the shot. I think it was like backhand down the line or something. And uh, so we started playing points, and we play like game to 11 or 15. And sure enough, every, every let's say, backhand down the line, he, he would step in and rip, rip a winner. It was no big deal. Easy for him. 
And that, that was like an awakening for me. Like many years, I still remember, I still talk about this with uh, coaches who come to study with me. You know, like, like how, how could it be? Like he, he couldn't make any of them. Uh, and then when we start to play and compete, he's engaged, he's focused, and he makes a shot every time. So that would be an example to answer your question where that kid needed to make like zero out of 10 or one out of 10 or two out of 10 or three out of 10, and that was plenty, because all they have to do, with, with a real talented magician, all they have to do is feel a shot once or twice, and they got it. And for some of us who are not that talented, like, I'm not that talented. So for me, I need to learn mechanically, like I need to do a lot of reps to master uh, a, sh a shot, and I learned that over the years. It took me a long time, maybe to, I think, to figure that out, because I I had trouble focusing and doing the, the repetitions. I needed help getting more focused and disciplined. And so that's something that I personally went through a lot, but I, I needed to do the reps for the learning. So so my body needed that, my mo my my neuromuscular system needed that, my for for the motor learning to to, to succeed. Uh, I needed to do a, a tremendous amount of repetitions, but I don't think I knew that as a kid. I I was just like you know, I don't think I like to drill from a personality aspect. Like I just didn't focus well in drills. So I had to overcome that. And now I would say as an adult, I'm a very hard worker and I do, I do, you know, I can do thousands of repetitions and suffer. And, and I've, I've almost taught myself to be a mechanic, if that makes sense. I've almost trained myself to be a lot more mechanical, even though I think maybe my personality is a little more magician-like. Uh, especially when I was a kid, I had a hard time focusing and doing drills. So sometimes you need to help a player focus better and, and help them train to be more balanced, to be more mechanical, or vice versa. You might have a kid who's like super mechanical, but they don't play enough points and they need to like get out there and, and be uncomfortable in point situations. You may need to train them to be a little more like a magician. But um, to answer your question... A really, it's a really tricky question. Like, if you get eight out of ten, is that enough? I think for the coach, if the coach is uh, sometimes the coach wants to say ten out of ten to be a real hard ass, uh, to be really demanding, that might be appropriate for a certain kid. Uh, say, hey, we're not leaving this court until you make those last two. You got to make ten out of ten. Or like a Pato Alvarez would, if you didn't make twenty in a row, he'd go back to zero. So. So sometimes the coach wants to teach discipline and suffering and wants to be a tough guy, and that might be appropriate for a certain player personality. But it could also backfire if a kid is, uh, is really not into, into drilling, it's really more, more of a magician. If you take that approach, it's probably not going to work very well with those types of with players who are wired that way, and you will create a rift in the coach-student relationship sometimes that rift will be will not be repairable you will lose you will lose you will not only lose the player's engagement there you might create something that blows up in your face where um there's a, a confrontation and the player never wants to come back to your court ever again which is something most coaches try to avoid um of course that depends on your coaching philosophy you know, some coaches say this is my way it's it's my way or you you get out of here the you go on the highway uh, and some coaches are more malleable and they try to be more adaptable to the player so that again comes back a little bit to your your philosophy but 
Uh, it's a very simple question with a, with a with a complicated uh, answer. I think uh, very nuanced. Uh, can be very nuanced. The the correct answer depending on the the player and the coach and the situation. So any more questions, guys? Let me know. I think I will start to uh, wrap up the show. Uh, live ball versus dead ball. I asked Luis Bruguera that same question, and Luis Bruguera is one of my uh, huge mentors. Uh, I have another question here. Have you seen Lansdorp feed balls? If yes, can you describe how he does it? So Lansdorp is a classic, you know, I'm sure you guys are probably want to want to guess or some of you may already uh, realize that Lansdorp is the classic uh, mechanical coach, you know, where he he has his drills, his exercises that he feeds. Lansdorp feeds a lot with the racket. He doesn't uh, do as much hand feeding. So he does a lot of traditional feeding with the racket, and he's obsessed with getting, uh, you know, the certain repetitions, certain strokes, and footwork correct. And he's obsessed with accuracy, hitting the ball hard and generally flatter, driving through the ball. And he has a very sort of traditional style, I think, um, in my opinion, an outdated way of teaching technique. Even though he's a very successful coach. I think it's one of the reasons why he's so successful on the uh, with with women especially because the the way he teaches is sort of um, you know he doesn't teach the heavy spin ball that you see nowadays in the modern game but nevertheless a brilliant coach who is very much someone who works with a basket and requires demands a lot of repetition a lot of work a lot of suffering and I have not uh, studied with Robert Lansdorp, except from just following him through videos and, and uh, uh, you know, his, uh, his writings and things like that. But I'm very confident he would say that you cannot become a champion without drills, uh, without hard, tough drills. I'm pretty certain about that, although you never know. Uh, I, asked, I asked Luis Bruguera the same, and Bruguera said to me he he did not think it was possible to develop a champion without drills. So that's my mentor, uh, my, the longest mentor that I've had in Spain. And he said, um, he said uh, definitively, you know, uh, unequivocally, unequivoc uh, drills. You need to have drills to be great. And, you know, that's his, that's the Spanish way. Uh, I have a question here, Djokovic versus... Uh, was it Federer or Nadal? I think Nadal is very mechanical. Djokovic is probably balanced. And Federer is definitely uh, more of a magician. Anacone breaks all of the top players down. He knows all of the, you know, Paul Anacone. This is not my uh, my metric. It's from Paul Anacone. He, I think he had, he's broken down all the top players that he's seen and, and traveled with and observed. And, and he's the expert on, on the ATP players and how they like to practice. I'm more of an in-the-trenches in the uh, prodigy maker guy. Uh, Anacone is a tour guy, traveling around the world, seeing the best players in the world. But you'll see on tour, the, you, you'll, if you go to professional tournaments or to where professionals are practicing, you'll see, you can, you can discern pretty quickly how a player is wired. If a player is uh, getting ready for a match and the coach is tossing them, hand-tossing them or feeding them, 24 hands uh, inside out you're probably dealing with a more mechanically inclined player there and if you're 
if you see a player practicing with、um, who wants to play a set, who wants to play something with points, something with、uh, competition, live ball, that player is is most likely more、um, inclined to be a magician. And like I said, there are players who are balanced and in between. So,、uh, live ball, dead ball, magician, mechanic, guys. Let me know your thoughts. You can leave.、Uh, Leave some ideas for me in the comments. I don't know if the the ideas are controversial or not. I think that you definitely have some coaches and parents who have a philosophy of、uh, baskets and dead ball and reps and suffering and and work, and they think that that's the only way to work. And you definitely have the opposite. You have parents and coaches who believe、uh, sometimes that all of that work with the basket is a waste, basically a waste because、uh, it's not real. Uh, so, I don't know.、Uh, I guess where where am I? Where, where am I? I'm comfortably straddling the fence here. I, I, what I've tried to develop in my own coaching is in my career. I think I used to be、uh, very much more mechanical in the way I, I I forced kids to to work for me with drills. And over the years, I'll be honest with you guys. I think I've tried very hard to become more balanced and to adapt to some players who didn't like. To drill, they weren't wired for hardcore drilling, rote repetition, and I think, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I think I've become a lot better coach over the years, over the decades now, because I've I've tried very hard to adapt my my style to the way the players wired, rather than than me just saying this is my system, this is my method. We drill. Until you collapse, or 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 the opposite. We we believe in live ball. We don't do any stupid drills. They're a waste of time. You know, the, you you hear coaches who who do that, who say that, and those coaches sometimes are very successful coaches. So I think I could be a very successful coach if I just took one or one or the other of those philosophies and just did everything I'm doing. I think I could be very successful in in one or the other style. But I'm confident that if I did that, I would. Um, I would have a lot of broken relationships, so there would be a lot of burn bridges because there would be a big chunk of players who came to me who it just didn't work out. Like it would never work just because of the clash of styles, and and the way that I tried to teach them was inappropriate for their the way they were wired to learn or their personality.、Uh, so I'm very confident of that,、uh, and I just think that's interesting. So you you can take a very narrow approach to what you believe. And train kids that way, and you can become really great, like a Landsdorp or a Pato Alvarez or、um, or Luis Bruguera. You know, I, I think Luis Bruguera is probably a little more balanced than Pato Alvarez. But、uh, at the same time, I just think I, I always try to tell、uh, coaches try 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 to be、uh, if you can be flexible and adaptable with your with your philosophy. It's It's gonna be better for most of the kids. You're gonna burn fewer bridges. You're gonna have fewer broken relationships. You're gonna have fewer scarred players. Because sometimes when you, when if your approach doesn't fit the player's personality, is you're gonna do a lot of. You could do a lot of like trauma. You could give the player some trauma. You could you could damage the player, create like really big problems. Those that's usually the、uh, recipe for explosive、uh, problems on the court. So just watch out for that.、Uh, You can explore the idea of、uh, magician and mechanic. Try to 
figure out how, how you are wired, how your player is wired, how your son or daughter is wired, and then try to customize your training according to the way the player is wired. I think that's sometimes called player-centered or player-centric centric coaching. I think that's a really good way to coach. It's really positive. And it doesn't mean you're selling out. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're um, passive or you're a pushover. I think it means you're, you're, you're smart and you're trying, to, you're trying to customize your training to, to benefit the player the most. It doesn't mean the player's not working. And then just to finish, I think there is a way, if you, if you have a player in front of you, for example, who doesn't like to drill, there's a way to push that player. You can get... If you're a good hitter, like if you're a pro, like a, if you're a 13 UTR or higher, and you, and you work out live ball with a kid, and you push them and give them very little rest, and uh, don't talk too much, and you make every ball as a hitter, I mean, that workout could be tougher than the toughest drills from a basket, for example. So I'd just like to leave you with that. If you're a really good hitter as a coach, or if you have a good hitter working for you as a coach or parent, you can really push a kid hard, and it can be completely live ball. It could be even point play, you know. Sometimes I'll do a combination. Like, we'll do a combination of, like, a fixed drill, and then I'll, I'll, I'll reward the player with a point if I feel that they need to compete, I need to get their engagement. Like, that's a really awesome way to train a kid. You do some, almost like, a, you could combine dead ball with live ball. Sometimes you can mix, you know, like you could have a hitter, you could do a couple dead balls, then you could play it out with the, with the hitter. Uh, you could do some sort of fixed repetition and then add in an open live ball point. So there's some creative ways you can capture the, the um, curiosity and the, the energy, the focus of a, of a player who might be a difficult player who doesn't want to necessarily do rote repetition. And just remember, you can push a kid really hard. I think one of the one of the secrets is you you push them as hard as you can uh, on the on the court with live ball. But if you don't think it's enough, you you go to the trainer and you have the trainer whoop 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 them. You know, like whoop them in the gym, um, take them to the track and kill them off the court. And so that's a way that you can develop the toughness, the the hardness, the durability. The, um, the discipline. You can get the discipline without necessarily being like the drill guy, like doing like the baskets till the kid suffers on the, like till the, till the kid collapses. You can, you can be like more balanced as a tennis coach, but then you can, you can lean on the, on the professional trainer or um, you could lean on your hitter. If you have a really good hitter, it can be, I think, I think as good as, um, as, as the best hand-fed drill or the best racket-fed drill in terms of pushing a kid and, and pushing to the max physically and mentally. So try to think about that. There may be a creative way. Maybe the kid doesn't have to do uh, 100 balls or 10 out of 10 or 20 out of 20. Maybe it's enough to hit with the top-level hitter and then get their butt whooped in the gym with the trainer, and that's enough to build the discipline, the character that you need. And you don't have to be like the... Uh, uh, just the guy who rolls out the 300 ball basket and starts doing like all these you know drills that that basically can lose a player, make a player bored, lose the engagement, and event sometimes burn out a player. Like there are players who go to Spain who they get completely burned out after like a few months there because they just like oh god we got to do the same drill again you know like uh, 
you know, some places in Spain are like really traditional like that. And it's just some players that they, they don't, they don't like that. You know, they'd rather go to France and play a little more games, you know, and have a little more uh, fun and, and uh, be allowed to be more creative across the border in, in France, you know. So depends on the player. Sorry, it's not a black and white answer. Uh, if you want a black and white answer, maybe go go hit up Robert Lansdorf for his opinion. I'm sure you're going to get a pretty pretty straight answer. Or, uh, you know, if you, if you really believe in the drilling, you, you're going to love it in Spain. Because when you go to Spain, it's it's a little bit refreshing. Because you go there and, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to work. Here's the basket. You're going to do this amount of balls, and that's it. We're not even going to play a game. Uh, so And then some players either have to suck it up and deal with that, or some players just hate that, and they just get out of Spain as fast as possible. But um, That's not every academy in Spain, but a lot of the places in Spain are like that. There are other places that are, that are like a little more, you know, balanced between game, live, and dead all uh, situations so guys i hope you find this interesting uh it's a pleasure talking junior development with you i had some very good questions tonight and the questions actually help make the show better so thank you guys for your questions and we will have a new show coming up soon i'll try to get the show onto the podcast soon doing a lot of filming here i am going to try to post more um instructionals uh like instructional clips from the court, I have a classroom set up at the club now, so I'm, uh, it's all ready for filming. I have a, I have a new projector and a whiteboard. I'm uh, try to get more uh, video for you guys of me on the court working with top juniors, and also like a little bit of classroom work where I'm maybe giving a short lecture or a short uh, breakdown of, of an important topic in junior development or or technical training or. or or Spanish training or some things like that. So we'll be, look for that. We'll, we'll post those on YouTube and on Instagram and, and on all the socials. And, and I really try to, I'm going to try to get this show uh, to continue to grow. I see that the audience is, is, is growing. Um, uh, it's definitely growing. I, I think the show should be like, the audience should probably be like 10 times as large, but it's probably because I am not promoting the show very well because I'm so busy with my four kids. Uh, but yeah, if you if you know someone who might be interested in, in uh, technique or biomechanics or junior development might appreciate the show, please share the show with others so we can kind of grow the uh, the audience and then we can all learn and um, you know help each other get better at uh, coaching kids in tennis, which is not always easy. See, it's very sometimes a simple question like should I is eight out of ten balls uh, enough may not uh, it may not have an easy answer in a drill you know some of these questions are very nuanced and some of these questions really get into how well you are at reading how well you are at figuring out how the player is wired in front of you and that is the art of coaching okay guys have a good night god bless i will see you on the next program we hope you enjoyed the program please give us a five-star review on itunes and recommend the show to your friends we greatly appreciate your likes and shares Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.